Well, Jay, as we keep saying, it is the era of data, and it we sure are is. so blessed and lucky to be collaborating with Luminate, the big kahuna of big kahunas. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the central source uh, for data in the music industry. Uh, Luminate Data used to be MRC SoundScan. Um, but uh, we had the pleasure of speaking with Jamie Marconette uh, from Luminate, and uh, we're going to play that conversation for you right now. Jamie is the Senior Director of Music Insights and Industry Relations over at Luminate, and they just released their mid-year report, the Luminate mid-year report, and we had a chance to kind of get an early peek and an early conversation uh, with Jamie, and uh, we will be talking about it a little bit more uh, you know, in your morning coffee this week and on the podcast. But here's sort of a sneak peek of the Luminate mid-year report. Let it roll. Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. I'm super excited to dig into this Luminate Mid-Year Report 2023. Um, I'm excited that you're bringing this to us to talk about um, because we follow this really closely and, and it's it's something that excites us. And here we go with uh, the Luminate Mid-Year Report. The information that you're sharing with us right now kicks off with global and U.S. metrics for 2023 mid-year. Let's talk about that for a minute. Definitely. Well, thanks, Jay. Thanks, Mike, for having me. Um, really excited to be on the on the show this morning and, and uh, talk with you guys about this. So yeah, kicking off with our global metrics, you know, it's been a really interesting time for streaming overall, globally and in the U.S. You know, globally was really starting to accelerate for for several years as, as new markets took on play, uh, took hold. But what we saw in the U.S. was that Streaming was still growing in 2018 and 19 and 20, 21. It just wasn't growing as fast. So what that changed, though, in 2022 was that all of a sudden we saw the U.S. accelerate in streaming, where now new growth was more than in 2021. And that trend continues into this year. So we are continuing to see um, streaming, on-demand audio streaming, accelerate we're also seeing it accelerate globally and i think that the the one number that we kept looking at 
you know, illuminate in illuminate uh, in in April to really underscore this was that there were one trillion on-demand audio streams globally by the end of March wow. this year. That was four weeks faster than last year. And also, you'll see in in the report that at the half uh, the half year mark right now, globally we're at two trillion. So we're on pace wow. right now. That's crazy. That. That is remarkable. And uh, do you guys kind of do an office pool, Jamie, and kind of like are, are, are betting what it's going to be? Because when I look at this report, man, it is it is pretty much all good news. And, and I was just kind of stunned at how good the good news was. So, yeah, there is a lot of good news. I think that, you know, we're seeing a lot of the DSPs report um, uh, subscriber increases as well. You know, those things are all good. Um, and we are seeing that show up in the streaming, which has been which has been really, really, uh, really great to see. A couple of things I want to also call out just from the, the overall screen or, or the overall metrics page mm-hmm. is that all physical categories are actually up. Now, that includes uh, vinyl, which we've seen growing for a while. Sure. Uh, we've seen cassettes grow in the last few years, slowing down a little bit right now. But then also this year at the halfway mark, we are seeing CDs are up over this same period last year. And that really is being driven actually by K-pop. Um, and you know, the, uh, the fandom around K-pop and the, the purchase of physical products and the other things to support their artists that they love. Nice. Wow. It, it, it seems like looking at the vinyl sales and that's vinyl LP sales up 21.7%. We were kind of, uh, under the assumption that manufacturing was kind of catching up to, uh, basically to demand. And is that your sense as well, that, that it's finally kind of, uh, that, that we are seeing enough product in the marketplace that people are, are buying it all? Or is, is there even more good news to come, do you think, when we see the end of the year report? I think you're right. I think that, I think that because of the, the challenges that have faced the vinyl production over the last couple of years, especially during COVID, I think that those have eased. And I think that what we were seeing during COVID is that there was this demand. We could all see the demand. You know, the demand was there. There just wasn't... Um, uh, as much product as maybe to fill that demand. And so I think that coming out of the holiday period from last year, the 2022 holiday period coming out, we didn't see as big a drop in January as we had seen previously as well. It was like the, uh, the vinyl sales just kind of stayed elevated week to week. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that you're seeing that here where now that the production issues have kind of eased a little bit, there is more out there. There are more current releases. There are more catalog releases there, are, you know, and the fans are are gravitating towards that and buying them up. So yeah. it will be really, really interesting to see where the category ends at the end of the year. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit better, right Jamie, now, right? because... Ten, let's see, about eighteen months ago or so, we had about a ten-month delay in production of vinyl. A few weeks ago, it was like ten, eight to ten weeks. So it's definitely, you know, come way down. And now that we're starting to fulfill some of that demand, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to see more growth in that area. Yeah, me as well. Definitely, I agree with you. Uh, the the fans were were wanting it. They've been wanting it the the whole time. <laughs> Well, and Jamie, one of the things that I'm kind of interested in, and we sort of talked about it just before we were all hitting record, which is how you all track this. And when you, you, you look at, of course, vinyl LP sales, it's so different now than, than in a previous era when Jay and I started an industry in terms of, because it was all straight retail. Lots of things have changed, but even things like cassette and CD sales, how do you guys monitor all that in, uh, in terms of the data and get that into your report? 
Well, we do at Luminate, we do have over 500 daily sources of data that come to us uh, worldwide. And that includes all of um, your, your big DSPs, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, um, YouTube, um, yeah. Pandora, all of them. And we also have a lot of um, physical sales. So at Luminate, we break it into different categories. There are the independent record stores. There are the, the mass merchants, the chains. And so those all come in um, from the various sellers because we do we are the data company that provides uh, the data for the billboard charts. And so anything that would be end up on the billboard charts comes through us first in terms of data. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about catalog versus current, because we've read a lot about how much this business relies on catalog. Um, talk about that for a second. Yeah, no, that's a great one. And, and, and Jay, that's um, that's something that's been obviously a hot topic for a while is this, this catalog. And we are seeing the catalog continues to, you know, take share away from current. And when we're talking about catalog at Luminate, we are talking about releases that are older than 18 months. So anything that's newer than 18 months is considered current in our system and with Billboard. And then older than 18 months is catalog. And over the last several years, we've seen that catalog has just um, grab more and more share of the overall consumption. And this is something that we are continuing to see um, this year as well. But the thing that I, I would like to always frame around this, mm-hmm. especially when we talk about streaming, is that the catalog that we're seeing that really drives the streaming is actually the more recent shallow catalog. Yeah. It's the things that are in the range of three to five years old. So yes, Kate Bush came out last year and it was a huge story and that song did massive and sure. it was one of our you know, in tracking, it was one of our top 25, I think, songs of the year last year in terms of on-demand audio streaming. But that's not the rule. It's the exception. And when we're talking about catalog streaming, what's really driving that is typically the things that are about three to five years older. And, and we are continuing to see that as well. And you'll see it in, in the report that, you know, catalog's gotten a little bit more share again yeah. this year. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you had some exciting news uh, in this report about D to C. And if you could touch before you get into the numbers, kind of tell the listeners like what is D to C and why is this so meaningful? Thanks. Yes. I love D to C. Um, so D to C is direct to consumer and abbreviated D to C. And essentially what this is, is for the most part, it's if you're going to an artist web store, their official web store, and you're buying product directly from them, or you are going to say another official um, online retailer that is that is not um, a chain or or things like that. So it's the it's either the artist store or the label store typically. Okay. And this is not and this does not include Amazon. And so what we did in the report this year is we broke out the growth of the category and wanted to take a look at some of the trends around it as well. You know these artist stores are starting to move a lot of units through them, like significant amounts of units through them. I remember um, I remember in my own history before uh, when I was a digital marketer um, for an artist and we, we were able to move 5,000 units for a album release week in 2018. And that was amazing. And we all you know jumped for joy, but now people are moving tens of thousands. And so we wanted to take a look at this. And what we saw is that in this half of the year versus last half of the year um, of 2022, Overall, D2C sales, um, direct-to-consumer, was up 20%. So 20% growth overall. We saw that the vinyl category is up 25%. 
And we also, this stat, this stat actually really blew my mind is that in terms of all vinyl sales through the first um, six months of this year, one in nine came from D to C. Wow. So wow. D to C, these artist web stars are, um, they are alive and well, and they are, they are a hub for fans and fans are, are going there. Um, they're able to purchase a sweatshirt or a hat yeah. or a koozie. Uh, and then also pick up, you know, an LP, a CD or a cassette too. Yeah. So it's really becoming a, a place of business for the, for the artist to, to really um, be able to serve those, those super fans. So you well, attribute that oh, to, sorry, Mike, you attribute that no, to basically just fandom people wanting to support their favorite artists. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. And that is really, it is a, a lot of fandom and it's, wanting to support and what better place because you've got all the products that you could possibly want typically in the store uh, that the artist is offering and it, it makes it the connection is really really strong there and we are seeing that you know a lot of the gen z and the millennials um, especially the gen z are actually asking for more uh more things to buy from their favorite artists i think the the, the number was 42 percent of gen z would like more merch options to buy and you know so we are seeing that these young fans um, are, are purchasing music and merch together and, and as a, as a, you know, to exhibit their fandom. And it's a good lead into what exactly is a super fan and how do you monetize them and what you guys look for when you're kind of reporting out on these super fans. Cause certainly Jay and I have talked about this a lot, which is what is this? You know, almost half of vinyl sold is never actually played or, yeah. or opened up. And, you know, I mean, the super fan is of course something we're all trying to reach out to, but you know, talk a little bit about what you guys see and how you uh, take that data into your reports. Sure. So from our consumer research side at Luminate, and we have a team that, that goes out and field surveys and consumer research in, in over 30 markets. And so that is where the, our data comes from on the super fans. And part of our U.S. Music 360 product is, you know, finding out all about how fans um, across the country are engaging with their artists. And we have a criteria that involves at least five different engagement points mm-hmm. with artists and those um, those fans then become super fans and you can read more about it in the report as to what we're looking for there but we found that 15 percent of music listeners in the u.s can be described as a super fan of, of their artists and you know these super fans what we're finding is that they are spending more money per month on music activities um, they are they are purchasing more merch um, they are as i said they're raising their hand for more options to purchase mm. and so we're finding that these fans are really really vital to the overall music um music ecosystem because they are also some of the first in their network of friends to learn and discover new artists so they're also incredibly important when uh you have a new artist because they will help spread the word to their to their uh, to their friends as well because they're so you know they're so tuned in on everything and they love sharing about it. Wow, yeah, I mean that's the goal, right? To get these super fans, and I'm a super fan of certain artists, and I will support them in any way, shape, or form. And I was reading in an article, an interview with Michael Rapino, and he was talking about on the live side, it's the same thing. They can't mm-hmm. keep up with the demand for experiences and signed instruments and special shows. And, you know, it's, we're out of COVID we're out of the lockdown and people are hungry for entertainment. And those super fans are, you know, that's the goal. 
Totally agree. Totally agree. And, you know, we also find that um, super fans are also they like being that part of that community of super fans as well. You know, so there's definitely a communal aspect to it. Absolutely. And they are um, they are all celebrating their favorite artists. Yeah. And speaking of live concerts, what did, let's talk about the impact of the live music uh, ecosystem on consumption of music. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, for bringing that up. So what we're finding is that, you know, there's an example that we use in the, in the report and we, we look at Beyonce's tour um, and her kickoff uh, in May and what that did to in terms of consumption bounces. And we saw that, you know, the three days before the tour kickoff, um, I think it was in Stockholm on May 10th. Uh, the three days before and then the tour kickoff day in the next couple of days, we saw significant up, uh, upticks in multiple regions, you know, Europe, North America, South America. Um, and it really, you know, served as a it really served as um, almost a marketing tentpole in a way, you know, that really engaged fans um, and fans were um, excited yeah. the world over about the tour and wanted to go and listen to the music and consume more music um, as part of this. So we definitely saw that uptick there. I, I will also call out that, you know, one of the things, and, and you mentioned COVID a second ago, one of the things that's in the report too, is we, we dive into some numbers about what the, um, what people's concerns are with, with, um, with going to live shows and through the COVID period, COVID was the number one concern. Uh, but we actually saw that change a little bit. And we, we have seen in recent, more recent months is that it is actually the cost of tickets now mm. that is like the number one concern around among fans when going to, to a show and, and no longer COVID. So that, that concern is now the, the cost, the overall cost that they're doing because, um, you know, they are spending a lot on concert tickets. Yeah. Hey, talk a little bit about, Jamie, about brand partnerships and audience and how that, uh, why you track that and what kind of the trends are in these commercial partnerships, because that is big business, certainly for certain artists. How does that work out and how do, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. So what we found was fascinating was that we took a look at a couple of different artists, uh, couple of different fan groups. One of them was pop music fans. And then one of them was sports fans. And we, um, because we tracked through the um, one, another one of our surveys called um, entertainment 365, which is a little bit more general. And we've got data on, you know, different fans and what they're doing um, in terms of uh, the brands that they like, or the categories and those sorts of things. And what we found actually is that music is a really great audience because they're more likely to purchase a ton of things. And so we do look at that a little bit in our um, in our report. And what we did is we compared them to another really massive fandom uh, loyal group, um, sports fans. And so we looked at pop music fans versus sports fans to see, you know, who um, would be more likely to purchase um, select categories. And we found that through a lot of categories, even like shopping online, I think, and um, using um, I believe using. Uh, food service apps that the pop music fans are actually leaning a little bit more towards that than even the sports fans. So uh, music fans are incredibly loyal, but they're also great audiences for other partnerships, whether it be, you know, a, a soft drink company or a snack company or something like that. Um, once you line up with the right artist that you could really, you know, benefit everybody. So music fans are probably better for your brand than sports fans. I like that. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I would say that definitely some of them. I mean, it, it always yeah. depends on it always depends sure. on the brand and the artist. You know, there's a lot of things, but um, but what we saw sure was that these music fans are very um, they're more likely to buy a, a lot of different categories than even sports fans. Yeah, one of the trends lately, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. One of the trends we've seen over the last few years is this proliferation of non-English language, whether it's K-pop or Bad Bunny or whatever it is, Latin music is exploding. And it's this more of a global marketplace now. Is that sort of what you're finding? Talk about the trends in non-English language music in the United States. I This is a topic that just fascinates me. Yes, um, I love this topic. And what we are seeing is that we are seeing that the percentage of English music is 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 going down um as we in the see u.s in the u.s and, and but globally as well if you look globally there there's going to be a lot of different countries where it's going down as well and you know i'll just use the i'll just use the example of the u.s um but what we are seeing that over the last several years u.s has lost um i think about four or five percent of the share right so out of a hundred percent you know they were well above 90 and now we're seeing uh english share of content um and this this includes audio and video streaming okay it's jumped has dropped into the the high 80s so it's lost about four percent or so and what's picking that up is spanish and so this is since 2021 and so spanish is the second um most uh, popular language in terms of consumption um here in the US, but we're seeing similar things in other regions too. You know, I was actually up in Canada uh, last month and in Canada, it's Punjabi that's mm. actually gaining share as English goes down. And what we're seeing is that in a lot of these locations around the world that we are seeing either the, the content that's native to that country um, starting to grow, especially near the, the top. Um, so we looked at the top 10,000 tracks, but you'll see throughout the, the report, you'll see where these, these other languages, um, typically languages that are local to the region are starting to gain more and more share. And, you know, what we are seeing is that, you know, without, without geograph or without any sort of barriers to streaming, um, mm-hmm. or any, you know, any things that might have been challenges in the past um, or exporting or importing uh, different content, we're seeing that this this sort of this rise of like the the, the native languages and the, and the that's native to that region are starting to grow. And it's fascinating to me. And I think if you watched the Grammys and saw Bad Bunny sure. open up with five minutes of Spanish music, that was just like a moment where I think that it really fully, um, you know, uh, showed uh, that Latin music was fully in the the cultural zeitgeist, you know, like you know, had it not been um, had it not been fully there before. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and to that though, do we see any sort of more uh, certain tr- uh, trends with in terms of genres in English being exported to other countries that are kind of surprising? Yeah, so country music is going global. Country music is doing phenomenally here in the U.S. too. I got I got I got to give a shout out for that. And I come from the country music uh, the country music <laughs> marketing world. <laughs> So there they is, but we are seeing that there are um, the streaming is upticking in, in a lot of areas. And typically, country music was streamed mostly um, when you get XUS. It was it was uh, the UK, it was Australia, it was Canada. But we're also starting to see other countries um, in in Asia starting to pick up country music. Uh, other countries in Europe starting to pick up country music as well um, as some others. And and it really is starting to export. I think that there's. There's a lot to be optimistic 
about with the country music genre. I think that, you know, as the streamers come to the genre and the genre is starting to be driven forward by Gen Z and millennial streaming music fans. I think that you're starting to see them consume in these ways and it's starting to also help with the, with the exporting of the genre. That's really interesting. Cause I remember when SoundScan kicked off in 1991, I was working at tower records and some of those first charts that came out, we were, sh- were so shocking because we didn't know that country music sold as well as it did because it might've been a little underreported back in those days. And I, I, I think you answered the question. I was really going to ask you like, is this sort of a newer trend and is it really based on just the walls coming down on the streaming side? I think it exactly is that. I think that, you know, historically the country music consumer has been a little bit older. Um, they've been, um, more, you know, they would have cited AM FM radio maybe as their number one way of listening to new music. And what we've seen in recent years is that we have these new fans that are younger and they are streaming forward. And, you know, you'll see this in the absolutely spectacular outrageous numbers that Morgan Wallen is streaming. But then you also look at a, a Bailey Zimmerman or a, uh, Zach Bryan or Luke Combs, and you see these other artists who have these young fan bases and they're powering them to, to really new streaming heights. And so this is a powerful streaming group. Yeah. And as they continue to find new artists, um, it's, you know, kind of the sky's the limit right now as you look at that. So this is a really uh, powerful streaming group. And one other fact that I want to pull out about the country music, especially the ones, they're actually more likely to stream music than other Gen Z music fans. Really? So they are more, they are even more tuned in to streaming music. And so we're seeing them really starting to power the, the genre. Gosh, darn it. Um, you know, uh, on our show, Jay, uh, on Jay and I's show, Jamie, uh, we talk a lot, you can't open up anything these days and, and not see something about AI. Mm. I mean, AI is just everywhere and it's sort of in the public consciousness now, uh, more so than it was, let's just say, even six months ago. Um, you guys also had, a, had in the report had an AI case study uh, talking about AI music. Talk a little bit about what, and AI is such a broad topic. It, it can mean so many different things. What did you guys focus on in this case study in terms of AI? Yeah. Um, so what we focused on was the now infamous ghostwriter track called Heart on My Sleep. <laughs> it was made sound like Drake featuring The Weeknd. And one of the things that caught our attention is that, you know, how did it spread internationally? How did it spread globally? And that is what we wanted to take a look at using, you know, some of our country level data. And it's, it is a really interesting story, and I don't want to give too much away, but what sure. I'll say is that it actually didn't really stream anything for the first seven days. Um, really? And then, yeah, it was day eight. It was, it, yeah, we, going back and looking at the numbers, it was, it was, I mean, it was 30, 40 streams a day up until day eight, wow. at which all of a sudden it kind of caught on a little bit, and that was enough for it to be picked up in Canada, which was enough for it to be picked up in other parts of Europe, and then it kind of spread from there. So what we wanted to take a look at is how fast these things can spread and you know what what can happen um, once these things get on, on a DSP platform. Uh, eventually, on I think it was day 12, um, it was actually pulled from all DSP platforms, so you'll see that in the chart too. <laughs> But uh, but it's a really fascinating look about how these things can spread to other regions. 
That is so fascinating. You know, Jamie, this, this report, we, we look forward to it every time Mike and I do. And it's one of our, we just can't wait to get our hands on it. And then to kind of go through and see if there are any surprises, see where things are trending. Cause it's all right there in the numbers. It must be really exciting for you and your team to kind of collect all this data and then see what does it mean? Yes. Yeah. We are incredibly excited about it. We're incredibly uh, excited about sharing this with everybody. You know, I think that right now is a really interesting time in the, um, in the overall music industry because how we talked about, you know, streaming has just knocked down these barriers, right? So the, the global barriers are com- completely shot and it allows for new languages to start coming up and it allows for new discovery of, of artists and it's just a really incredible time uh, to be a fan, to be, you know, in the industry. And then also, you know, for us uh, on our side, you know, we kind of nerd out on this stuff, too, and geek out on it. So it's, it's always really, really fun to, to be able to share what we're seeing. And I'm kind of curious, too, Jamie, when you guys get when you guys get this sort of collected data, maybe what surprised you the most with this, this yeah. most recent report? Anything jump out at you when you went, oh, look at that? I think the... I think there's a couple, there's, there's several things. Um, so I'm only going to pick up on a couple, but I think that uh, my the areas I'm most, uh, I found the most compelling to me personally. Um, and maybe I'll rephrase that. or just things that, you know, surprised me. I thought that the physical categories, all physical categories being up was interesting. I thought that I loved and I'm fascinated about um, demographic changes and how languages are taking form uh, through music consumption. That is a fascinating topic. I love that topic. And that was that was an area where I really wanted to um, to to look and focus as well. So I think that those along with D2C, I think that these D2C stores are really um, starting to power some significant units. So it's really great to be able to shed a little bit more of a light on that as well. Uh, but it's all it's all fascinating. And now I can, you know, uh, share this all with uh, with everybody else and, and, you know, have conversations about it. But uh, I think that those are some of the areas that I thought were the most interesting to me when yeah. when all was said and done. Yeah. Jamie, thank you so much for coming and sharing these numbers with us. This report. Yes. Again, it's the Luminate Mid-Year Report 2023. Um, we love this stuff. We are such music freaks and data freaks, and there's always something to learn, uh, from these reports. So thanks for your hard work on this stuff for you and your team. And, and thanks for coming and sharing with that, uh, sharing with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah. Thanks guys. Appreciate you having me. You've been listening to your morning coffee the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.